Convention Collective Sandbox at Portsmouth Comic Con 2019. So I guess I'm going to start with, um, obviously the company has had its 20th anniversary this year. No, 20, yeah, 20th, that's right, isn't 20th it? 20th anniversary on and April, April 10th. I mean, how do you think, think how has the industry changed? I mean, I know you, didn't, you weren't in the company from the very start, but you've been with it for a long time. 11 years. How do you think the, the industry has changed and, you know, also how IDW has changed since it started? I know the big two big questions. Well, the industry has changed, obviously, moving uh, with, with graphic novels and collections away from the direct market. Obviously, the direct market is extremely important to IDW as a publisher of periodicals uh, and graphic novels, but you know, the book market is becoming more and more um, important to us as a, as a publisher. Um, what was the other question? Um, well, I guess it was. You know, I guess you've answered it because it's industry and the, and I guess mm. they're both the same answer really because it's how the industry's changed and how okay. IDW has changed. I guess they've reflected the and change in the industry. The, the other way that IDW has changed is we've grown a lot as a company. We, when I started in in um, uh, two thousand and eight, um, I think I was the tenth or eleventh employee. And now we have uh, more than 60. So. That's pretty amazing. But I mean, obviously, your, your CV, you started life as a, an art dealer. Mm-hmm. And then you, know, you moved to Wildstorm as an editor, which you were at for quite a long time. And then you moved... That was in 1995. Yes. And then you, you moved to IDW mm-hmm. after that. I mean, you just had a sort of interesting career. I mean, when you started as a, you know, as a dealer, do you ever imagine that you would end up in the industry that you were... We were part of, but in a different part of it. Not really, um, but I, I always sort of had um, a per- peripheral involvement <coughs> when um, um, in uh, 1984, um, my uh, my roommate. Um, was an artist at DC named Sean McManus. Yes. Um, he's my best friend. And um, I used to go up to DC all the time with him. I was actually on the DC softball team. Oh, really? Um, for a couple of years. And it was, it was pretty informal back then. And um, I had been involved in helping uh, occasionally put together art teams for books. I mean, again, very informally. Because they were your friends, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, two things that I w- had involvement with on um, with Mike Mignola uh, on the Dracula miniseries. I had suggested John Nyberg. This is the series for Tops. Yeah, and then um, also uh, uh, Kevin Nolan inking him on uh, an Alien one shot, um, which kind of a funny story. When uh, did, have you guys seen the Alien? I remember seeing Mike yes. Mignola book uh, when. Mike, Mike at the time was very shy, and he was very much in awe of Kevin's work, and so he wouldn't talk to Kevin. And Kevin, really? and Kevin sort of was the same way; he wouldn't talk to Mike. And so uh, I was sort of the middleman. I didn't work for Dark Horse, of course, and um, 
I didn't have anything to do with the production of the book, but I, I kind of helped put them together. And um, uh, when the pages started coming back, uh, Mike was actually disappointed in them because he loves Kevin's work so much. But one of the things he was hoping for was that Kevin would, um, if you're familiar with Kevin Nolan's work, sometimes he does Slightly something. Well, he does something called Nolanizing, where he <laughs> he uh, really makes it his own. Yes. And and Mike was disappointed, and he called me up, and he said, "Ah, this. I was hoping I was hoping this would look like Kevin. It looks like me." <laughs> and so I called up I called up Kevin, and I uh, I told him that, and then I called back Mike, and I I said, "Well, Mike, this is what Kevin said," and he said it just like this. I could never change Mike's work. It's perfect. And Mike said, oh, all right. <laughs> so. Um, so, I mean, the art. I mean, how did you get into the art dealing, I guess? Was it, did it start off as something you were interested in yourself and it just grew? Well, when I was a kid, it was sort of easy to make money in comics. I mean, you could literally go to a comic show and start at one end and go to the other end and buy comics and sell to other dealers at the same show. Um, you know, you could go to one dealer and say, you know, do you want to get, you know, how much would you pay for this book? And then you go to the other dealer and you'd buy the books and then you'd walk over and you'd sell them to this other dealer. Um, I mean, for a kid, it was great. And uh, I eventually started selling comics at comic shows. I mean, very briefly, um, you know, I would buy... Was this like the early San Diego's? No, no, no. Was it small? Were they really local, I, small? Little? I was 18 years old. I mean, this was, you know, like, I remember I did the 1981 um, creation convention in New York, uh, or maybe 1980. I can't remember what my first one was. And it, it was, um, they're mainly known now for doing Star Trek conventions. That was the company that Bob Shrek worked for, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And, uh, and so I... Um, I did a couple of those shows uh, in New York and uh, surrounding areas, and I would, you know, have stacks of you know John Byrne X Men comics. And you could buy these things for a song back then, almost compared to now. Yeah, compared to now. And uh, and so I would sell those, but I was always more interested in art than selling comics. I didn't really have an interest in selling comics. Mm. I liked, um, as a fan, I always gravitated towards good art. Um, You know, stories obviously very important, but I always loved good art (coughs) and so I started buying I started buying um, original art original sketches yes Um, actually I didn't buy sketches I used to call up artists on the phone when I was you know 14 15 16 and uh, you know they were you know very nice I mean they most of them had listed phone numbers and so I just you know I was a kid you just phone them up and say I'm a big fan of your work I'd love to get a sketch basically and so I got a Harvey Kurtzman drawing I got a Jack Kamen drawing um, um, Jack Kirby um, although actually Jack Kirby was a little bit different I actually went out to his house oh really Um, yeah I called him up and he invited me out to his house wow Um, and uh, who else Alex Toth. Will Eisner? No. No. Uh, Eisner wasn't the kind of guy that would do sketches for people. Um, but, um, so I started doing that, and then I started, uh, there was a comic shop in New York at the time, 
that I started going to in the early 70s called Super Snipe. It was famous, wasn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, supposedly George Lucas was a uh, uh, was a partner in in it. Yes. And I I they had a gallery around the corner uh, that opened up in the mid 70s that had uh, original comic art, and that was the first time I really saw. Actually, that was the second time. I, I was at a convention in 1972, my first convention that I ever went to, um, and I saw uh, there was a cover to a, um, a DC reprint book called Secret Origins, and they had the original cover art, and I was, I was kind of mesmerized by it. Who was that. that by? Oh, God, I can't Somebody. even remember. I think it might have been Nick Cardi. Oh, okay. And, um, um, and, then, and then years later... You know, I hadn't, I didn't go to another comic show probably till the, probably till like '77, and uh, I, um, um, I, I would go to Super Snipe, and they had all this great original art, and I bought my first page, at Super Snipe. It was a, uh, I think it was like 1978, a uh, Micronauts page by Michael Gold. Have you still got it? Oh God, no. Mm -hmm. uh, no, fair enough. I just. Yeah, I have all the sketches that people did for me. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, um, it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, a great page. It was okay, but okay. I was just more interested in buying a page of original art, and it was yes. cheap. Okay. And then, um, and then I got more involved in in art, and I started buying it and uh, selling it, and um, uh, eventually it became a business. So you were partners with Paul at Showcase. No, no, you weren't. So Paul was something separate. Paul, Paul Hudson. If you guys ever went to Comic Showcase on Neil Street in London. Um, later on, he moved to Monmouth, yeah, and then he moved to Charing Cross Roads, and then it closed. But. Right. Um, Paul was—I uh, met him in 1986. I, I actually lived in London for close to a year. Uh, I worked for Des Skin at oh, really? uh, Quality Comics. I did. Um, what were you doing there? Are you guys familiar with resizing of? You know the quality Judge Dredd reprints? Of course, I remember those, the, well, the comic-sized ones that they put right, out. Right, they're different format. And so um, what my job was, and I completely <laughs> bullshitted my way into this, I pretended that I knew what I was talking about, and I got hired. Um, um, basically, uh, they would do stats, or I think they called them PMTs. Yes. And uh, they would be... They would need to be changed to fit American format, and so you know American comics are sort of like this, and British comics are sort of like that, and so I would need to um, cut up the stat, put them, arrange them on on a page. These were pasted up uh -huh. in those days with sort of like spray mount basically onto spray a board, mount, right? And then and then fill in the bits. And I'm not an artist, but you know I was working on Steve Dillon, and Steve Dillon was easy enough to mimic. That I could sort of fake it. I mean, it was you know I didn't draw characters, but I would extend trees, things like, like backgrounds that. Backgrounds and things. Yeah, um, and and it paid okay. You know, it paid mm. uh, five, ten pounds a page, and I was able to do you know a number of them. Mm. And my rent was cheap. I lived in South London with uh, the writer Peter Hogan. Um, and um, how did I start on this tangent? Sorry, no, I was asking about oh, our, oh, about, you about Paul, Paul, about the, your, your connection with and Paul so, Hudson. And so I, so I started doing UCAC in 1986 uh, before I went back to America, and um, uh, and I met Paul, and then I started coming over regularly for UCAC yes. uh, into the early 90s, and Paul and I became pretty good friends. I'm actually having dinner with him on Monday, tomorrow, and um, uh, I would come over. We would do a lot of business together. 
uh, I would bring him artwork that he would display for sale in his shop and then the following year I'd come back and he'd pay me for what he sold and I would take back what didn't and then um, we would set up at UCAC for years next to each other and watch yeah, and each other. And you were close friends, obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, Paul's a great guy. Yes. And so how did the Wildstorm thing come about? Is it because you were kind of unofficial broker for series and then eventually they just said, would you like a job? Or how did it work? It, it, it was kind of weird. I mean, um, I met Jim Lee in, at a WonderCon in either 87 or 88 in uh, Oakland. And we started talking, and mm. we uh, became friends, and we used to hang out um, occasionally when he was in New York or when I was in California. Um, we'd go out and play pool or play poker. Um, I never actually repped him, you know. No. I, uh, um, we were just friends. And then, but, you know, we became pretty close friends. And then eventually when he started uh, Wildstorm at Image, um, he offered me a job that was about, I don't know, maybe 1992. <clears throat> and I asked him what it would be, and he said, I don't know, we'll make it up. <laughs> and so I, I said, eh, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And so I stayed in New York. Yeah. And then in you know, the following year, he asked me again, and I said, well, okay, well, what would I do? And I was getting kind of bored with selling art I'd done for a long time, mm. and I... Um, you know, it was it was a really great, easy life. I mean, I could make a lot of money, at least it was a lot of money then, um, and really not do very much. I would, uh, uh, I'd go to bed at five o'clock in the morning, I'd get up at noon, I'd <laughs> go out and read the newspaper, you know, actually three newspapers, and then have breakfast in a diner, and then maybe go to a movie, and hang out with my girlfriend later on, Yes, and... Um, and then I would, um, I'd place ads in the comic buyer's guide. And so on those weeks I would, um, uh, get a lot of phone calls and I'd stay in and, uh, sell art, mail it off and do conventions maybe every month or so in different places. And, uh, it was getting kind of dull, you know, it was, it wasn't challenging and, um, so, you know, in 93, Jim asked me again, and again, he didn't know what it was. And then in 1994, at the San Diego Comic-Con, uh, I went out to Jim's house in La Jolla, and um, we, uh, he threw a card game, and mm. uh, we used to play a lot of cards back then. And so I'd go, I went and I played cards with him, he bought some art for me. Actually, it was funny. I was really tired. I didn't want to go out to his house. And he said, no, bring some art. I'll buy a lot of art. I'm like, yes. oh, come on, I'm tired. He said, no, 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 I'll, I'll spend $10,000. And I said, okay. all right, fine. And so um, I dragged myself out there with the guy who was working for me at the show, a guy named Stephen Kelleher, who used to manage a comic shop in New York called Big Apple Comics. Mm. So I headed out, and uh, we started talking. And he, um, I think that night... Either that night or another night, might have been that night. Um, he gave me a tour of the Wildstorm offices that were not built yet, that were actually being built out in La Jolla. And it's funny because I was actually there when Jim picked that office. Kind of, um, I had gone on a trip to San Diego, and we um, we had lunch together in La Jolla. At that time, they had an office in another part of San Diego uh, called Mira Mesa. Yes. And we, um, 
um, we had lunch in La Jolla at the Hard Rock Cafe, and he said he was thinking about moving to La Jolla and that, um, you know, he was going to look around for an office. And then we walked out of the Hard Rock, and across the street was the La Jolla Bank building. Yeah. And, and you know, there was a big sign, you know, to let. And so um, we just walked in, and we actually wound up walking through the offices that I eventually worked in. Um, and... Uh, did he say you'd be senior editor or, oh, or just oh, editor? Oh, no, 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 no nothing like that. Um, and, and so when we, when we talked that night in mm. 1994, he's, he said he had an idea of what I would do, and mm. that would be I would come out, sell art for the studio, yes. and then um, uh, do a line of prints. He bought oh, okay. a, um, at that time it was called an iris printer, now it's called a G-Clay printer. Yes. <clears throat> he bought this giant printer that they actually had to take the, um, the windows out of the outside of the La Jolla Bank building because it wouldn't fit. In well, the it was elevator. literally that big. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, um, he said, you know, he offered me this job, and we're walking through the offices, and he said, you know, this could be your office, this could be your office, this could be your office. And the old Wildstrom offices um, looked out on the Pacific Ocean. Yes. Know, they had great views. Um, it was. Uh, in downtown La Jolla, which isn't a, bit, a bad place at all, and he um, he offered me this job, and he he said, you know, you know, you could come out and do this, and I said yes, and so, um, and then, uh, you know, five months later, he called me up and he said, look, are you coming out or not? I'm not going to hold this job forever, <laughs> and so, um, in in uh, April of 1995, I moved out and I became the official art dealer and uh, print guy at Wildstorm. Yes. And um, and while I was doing that, you know, it was I wasn't sure whether I was going to last. You know, and he he gave me six months before I moved back to New York, and you know, it, it was kind of what I had already been doing in New York and but more limiting because mm. it was just the Wildstrom guys um, eventually became something larger. But after, from the time that I got there, I would kind of insert myself into things because that's just what I do. Um, I, would, I would suggest to Jim different creators he should use, different writers, different artists. Um, at that time, a lot of the guys who were coming into the studio, because Jim was branching out uh, into publishing more and more, and I would suggest different artists um, because you know he had these guys who, a lot of them drew like Jim Lee, and my feeling was, why have why have a second-rate Jim Lee when you can have a first-rate Arthur Adams mm. or somebody like that or Adam Hughes, and. Um, and so eventually he got fed up with it, and he said, okay, smart guy, you know so much, you edit a book. <laughs> and um, my first book was actually a Gen 13 Max crossover uh, by Tom Coker, who's here at the show also. Yes. And, um, uh, and that was a learning experience. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and luckily there was an editor at Wildstorm who was very kind named Sarah Becker. And Sarah really uh, showed me how to do things, and uh, I owe her greatly for that. Um, and then my second book was 
uh, Gen 13 Ordinary Heroes by uh, Adam Hughes. And uh, I was very happy with that one. That one came out pretty well. And then um, after that, I became a special projects editor. <coughs> and then and then a year later, uh, Jim decided to make me editor-in-chief, mm -hmm. which was sort of a surprise to me. Um, it was, I think it was a surprise to the editor-in-chief as well at the time. <laughs> um, but that's another story. Um, and so um, I believed in diversity of talent, and um, I wound up doing um, you know some books that I'm really proud of. Um, I worked with um, actually funny one of the guys who I felt was a Jim Lee clone later on um, became not only a good friend but also. I think a really great artist, and that's Jeff Campbell, J. Scott Campbell. Yes. Um, I remember, and Jeff loves to remind me of this, um, when Jim, Jim sent me faxes of Jeff's work in 93 or 94, and, um, and I called him up and I said, man, I do not know what you see in this guy. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, to be fair at the time, you know, he was working over Jim's layouts and, you know, he, he was nowhere near you know, what he is today. Mm. Um, but, uh, so I was the editor on the Cliffhanger books, um, Danger Girl, Battle Chasers, Crimson, uh, and then later stuff too. Um, the Ellen Moore, America's Best Comics line. Um, uh, Sam Keith did uh, some books that I really love, uh, Four Women and Zero Girl. At that time I also edited... Uh, uh, a Batman miniseries that Sam did called Batman Secrets. Um, um, one of the best moments I had was buying Planetary from Warren Ellis uh, and The Authority. Um, and um, let's see. Later on, I, um, I worked with Darwin Cook on uh, The Spirit. Um, I sort of have a reputation for being able to work with guys who are trouble. And, mm -hmm. and I'll put that in quotes because I don't feel they're trouble. I feel they're just, they have their own special vision and mm -hmm. they need special care. Um, so I worked with Darwin. I got a call from Dan DiDio <coughs> um, uh, asking me if I would be interested in working with Darwin on the spirit. And I was like, yeah, I think I'd be interested in that. <laughs> so. Um, but anyway, that's that's how I got to Wildstorm. Okay, and so the jump to ID. So what was the gap between Wildstorm and IDW, or was it almost like a straight? So you left Wildstorm and then went to IDW. It was overnight, um, because I was. Let's see. Um, I had a dispute with the publisher at at DC, and I was fired, and then. And the publisher, well, I won't go into it, but um, uh, I wound up uh, having a 10-month paid vacation. Okay. I, uh, uh, I left, and I had a contract, and so I was paid out for my contract, which ended on the last day of March uh, 2008. Uh, I, left, uh, I left D.C. in early June of uh, 2007 and uh, and and um, everybody 
with the exception of the former publisher of DC, was very supportive of me um, um, throughout it. I mean, Jim was, you know, incredible. John Nee, mm. um, who's... Actually, it's funny. Two of my closest friends are the publishers of DC Comics and Marvel Comics. Yeah. So, what am I? Nothing. Anyway. Um, and so... Um, <clears throat> and so I was thinking about starting up my own company and I was talking to my wife about it and uh, telling her that, um, you know, if we do this, we, you know, we'll probably need to sell the house and move into uh, an apartment and, um, you know, really tighten our belts. Uh, we had, at that time, our kids were 2007. Sam was two, Alex was six, um, and she was incredibly supportive of it. And um, and at the time, I had been offered a bunch of different jobs from people. Um, some were like just freelance editing. Um, a couple of places called up and uh, offered me large positions. One of them was really funny. They called up. I don't even remember the name of the company. They don't exist anymore, but they called up and they said they wanted me to be editor-in-chief. And I said, oh, okay. And uh, um, they asked me what my salary requirements were. And um, I said, well, what would, let's turn it around. What, what kind of money are you offering? And uh, they told me and they said, yeah, we can pay you an awful lot of money. And then uh, I... Uh, I, I told him uh, that uh, my salary at DC was uh, more than that, and uh, I thanked him for his offer. Um, and uh, I was offered a job by another company, but I felt I couldn't work for them. Uh, it never got to the point of talking about salary because uh, um, of just ethical things. Uh, and then around that time, I started... Uh, um, playing cards, mm. of course, with um, Ted Adams at IDW, and not for any just for social. Yeah, and uh, we we started going to uh, their local Indian casinos mm. that uh, are in San Diego, and we used to go to this one called Viejas, and we went you know four or five times, and then we started, and we would talk as we would drive out because it's like an hour drive each way, mm. <clears throat> and then you know maybe a month later. This is probably the fall of uh, 2008 at this point. Um, and then I got a call from him, and he asked me if I'd have lunch with him, and so I did. And he said he wanted to offer me a job at IDW. And I said, you know, I'm really not interested in a job that would make me editor-in-chief. You know, it's I did that, and it's not for me. Um, and, you know, you have... A really good editor-in-chief right now in Chris Ryle mm -hmm. and uh, he said no 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 I don't want you to be editor-in-chief I'd want you to be the special projects editor and then you know we started talking and uh, eventually it got to the point you know we were talking more and more and um, he asked me uh, he asked me what I made at DC and I told him and he said they they could match it um, and we um, we talked about a lot of different things, and then it got to the point on like our third or fourth lunch where I I had made a list of things I wanted to do or ideas I had, and um, 
about half of those things were things I tried to get done at DC and was met with skepticism. And, um, and uh, I gave Ted the list. I said, you know, if, if we're going to do this, then, you know, I want you to know what you're getting into because th these are some of my ideas. And, um, um, and he loved the list and he said that, um, you know, he didn't know if we could do all of these, but he thought everyone was, you know, a decent idea. <clears throat> and so we, um, uh, we agreed that I would start at uh, IDW uh, on April Fool's Day, which was the day after my non-compete ended, and uh, I did. And so I've been there ever since. So the first, what was the first artist edition that you put out? That was, was it. That was, that was Dave Stevens. Oh, it was yeah, Dave, Dave Stevens. Stevens Rocketeer. So I mean, what I mean, what's interesting is that now there are other companies that do sort of similar format books. You've Only like eight. Well, there's graffiti, and no, I'm afraid I've only eight. Um, but I mean, when when you when you put that out, no one no one was really doing huge archival reprints of. I knew you had the EC, you know, the Cochrane, but they're not quite the same because they're not as big and they're slightly well, different approach. But okay, first I'll say that I, I, I feel that okay, EC comics are my favorite comics ever, and I feel the Cochrane books, uh, are, or Cochrane, are the definitive work you know that there isn't anything better because it's complete yes and it's in black and white it's not scanned from the original art well okay it is scanned from the original art but it's cleaned up and it's in black and white not in color so it's different but you know that's that's to me you know an amazing mm. achievement um but when i when i first uh <clears throat> I'd been thinking about doing something like an artist edition for mm -hmm. a long time. Um, I actually used to be a member of this thing called an APA. Do you guys know what an APA is? That's an, so the Amateur Press yeah. Association. And there's an APA that's still running. It's um, um, Comics and Fantasy Art APA, I think. That's, that's something like that. And um, um, I used to be a member of it, and... One time they did a Neil Adams issue, and I did an act. I did a pretty long interview with Neil, and that ran in it. But I also um, had uh, a number of pieces of art, and some of them were pencil. And I made photocopies. You used to have to make sixty copies of an APA, send it to a central collator who'd put it together and then mail out the finished thick book. You know, some, they range from like 300 to 500 pages. And um, that, for that particular thing, you know, I made these photocopies of some pencils by Neil Adams and they just looked terrible. And so I decided to splurge and do that portion of my contribution with color, color copies. And mm. now color copies then were pretty expensive. But it looks so nice, and uh, so that's kind of how I, f I feel. That's my first artist edition, um, and then years later, uh, I was looking through a Batman book, a book on Batman collectibles that Chip Kidd had done. I remember that. And in that book, he had a page of uh, Neil Adams art again um, uh, from uh, Batman two fifty one. Batman, uh, the Joker's five-way revenge, and he had uh, he had photographed it, and it was 
printed in color and you know you could see I used to own actually the page that was in there um, and you know you could see at the time you know there's, there's always like blue pencil notations on art especially DC not as much with Marvel um, but at the time uh, DC was using this big fat blue marker you know it was instead of a pencil and it was just this big scrawling thing on this art and um, and you could see it really clearly and you could see you know the whiteout and you could see everything and I, I, I remembered those color copies I did and so um, I had talked about doing something like that at DC and that just wasn't going to happen um, DC does DC will try things second they don't try things first um, and a lot of my best friends are at DC hello um, but with um, with this particular idea, I wanted to do I wanted to do something like an artist edition. So I went to Ted Ted Adams, <clears throat> and I said, "Look, um, you know, we had talked about maybe doing me doing side projects outside of IDW, and I uh, I said, so I have this idea for a book. It's going to cost a lot of money, and I don't think you'll want to do it. Um, and I." I walked him through what it would be, and uh, and he said, "No, no, let's try it." And so we tried it, and originally, it was going to be direct to consumer because, oh, really? uh, because they're so expensive to print that it really I didn't think any dealers would buy it, mm. um, and I found out quickly that I was wrong. Um, and so Cliff Biggers, who does uh, Comic Shop News contacted me because we you know we had advertised it for sale it debuted at San Diego Comic Con and and retailers were upset apparently because they weren't offered it at a discount mm. and so Cliff called me up and we decided to do Cliff came up with the idea of doing a courtesy discount so instead of being the typical discount of 50% uh, it was a 25% discount and and so we did a quick solicit through Diamond, and we got way more orders than I was expecting. And uh, um, and uh, then we started, you know, then we did a second one a year later, and that was the first uh, Thor book by Simonson. And then the third book was the EC book, um, Wally Wood. Yes. And, um, and then, you know, those... Um, you know, sales went progressively higher on those. Yeah. I mean, are they sort of a way of you sort of, well, I guess I'm just stealing, you've always been, you've always loved comic arts. This is a way for people to, to own, you know, the best reproduction you can have of this stuff without shelling out thousands of dollars or pounds to get the original pages. I mean, is that one of the main motivators behind the artists and the artifact editions? You know, my motivation is on pretty much everything I do, you know, would I want to own that? Um, and and that's how I felt about when I sold art. I mm. um, there's only one time I can think of where I ever bought art purely. I mean, I don't love every artist. I, I'm not a big fan of a lot of guys, but mm. I can respect it. I I once bought some art that I really didn't like yes. because I thought, well, it's got Batman in it. I can sell it, mm. and I couldn't sell it, and I just hated owning it. And so finally, I just got rid of it. At you know, I'm at a loss. Yes. It was just painful to own. Um, I don't mind owning. I mean, I have a lot of art still that 
nobody else is interested <laughs> in it, but I like it. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I have page, I have like, I have a dozen pages from a book called that you guys have never heard of called The Score. Uh, a painted book by Mark Badger. I remember, I've got that. Yeah, I've got that. These, these, these like giant pastel pages that are just beautiful. But actually, that's a funny thing. When um, what does he do now? Uh, he is a slumlord in uh, Oakland, California. What seriously? Well, I, I well, no, you know, yeah, I, no, I, I joke about that. Yeah. He, he's a landlord. He owns, a, he owns a building. He was a great uh, artist. Wife. Yeah, and he still draws. Does um, he? Yeah, but not not, not for professionally. Any he does it just for his own well, pleasure. Well, he does he does stuff for things outside of comics um okay but uh but a funny thing when when mark was moving to california from new jersey we had lunch and um i had bought a bunch of the score pages from him when they came out and then when uh, he was moving he had a whole bunch and he said he was going to throw them away and i still throw them away i'll buy them from mm. you <clears throat> and he said you, you know, why would you can't <laughs> buy them they're not you can't sell the ones you have yeah. and so we had lunch, mm. and you know I looked at the pages, and uh, I said, okay, I can't really give you very much, but I'll, I'll give you this. Yes. And he goes, oh, you're crazy. No, don't give me that. Give me this. And so we were negotiating backwards. You know? Down. He was negotiating down. Yeah. So. so obviously the line is, how many titles have you published now? 50 sure. or it no, must be a lot. Closer to 70 or 75. Um, We've I'm, done 63 artist editions now, and... A bunch of artifact editions too. Yes, I mean, Not I guess. Not to mention the portfolio. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I, so I suppose the detective work, you know, tracking down pages, is is that something that you enjoy doing? Because obviously sure. you don't own everything yourself. But but thinking, let's let me think. Who would have this? Who's the big collector of this guy's work? Well, luckily, because I have an art background uh, of dealing, um, I know where a lot of things are, uh, and a lot of my closest friends are art dealers themselves like Albert Moy yes um, who's been incredibly helpful um, and uh, I mean every you know the vast majority of collectors and dealers have been very very helpful um, so if I don't know where it is I know someone who probably knows where it is mm. um, and unless it doesn't exist and then I'm fucked <laughs> so. I mean are there any books that you've not been able to put out because you've not been able to track down the pages so far i could name a thousand sure okay you know i mean you know when you've got like, have you got like plastic yes. man i mean yes. anything yeah i mean would you ever i mean if you couldn't get the originals would you ever shoot i guess it would defeat the purpose i was going to say that it if would you get hold of you know like really good xerox but it wouldn't be the same because you'd want the original it wouldn't pages. be the same but i mean that could be an art book but again it wouldn't be an artist edition well it doesn't matter if it's an artist edition i mean i don't i don't just do artist editions so if I could get, I mean, if I could get great Xeroxes or copies or even okay copies mm. of uh, Jack Cole's Plastic Man, yes. then, you know, that would be great. Um, but, uh, um, you know, it's just, it's very rare to find good copies of things mm. even from that period. And actually, and even, and there are some books that you can't even do mm. anymore. I mean, like, to me, the best book ever on a comic artist, yes. an art book on a comic artist is A Look Back, the Bernie Wrightson. Yes. You know, I mean, that is just an amazing piece of work. You know, I mean, it covers, you know, really, I mean, it covers before 1970, but really 1970 to 1979, I think the book came out in 1980, and mm. it's just a great piece of work. I mean, it's like a perfect book. Yes. And the I looked into the publishing rights of it because mm. it's been out of print for a long time. 
And um, who published that? Was that Dragon's Dream originally? No. No, it was originally Chris Chris Xavier with a Z. Oh, really? And then it went later to Underwood Miller. Yeah. And I contacted Underwood Miller about it, and and they still have the rights to it, mm. but they don't have the film anymore. And so, so they don't know where they are. Any of the pages well, of the artist. They told me that I could publish it, and I said, "Do you have film?" And they said, "No, you'd have to shoot from the book," and I, I won't do that. No, that's understandable. I mean, that's. A, you know, somebody's yes. gonna, somebody should just go out and pay $400 on eBay for a, well, the original printing, the, the soft cover for, for yes. they did is probably cheaper, but it's not worth it. It's, it's, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. You know, no. I mean, and the, I mean, you have a great art book and it's printed badly. Mm. No, you can't do that. No. So what are, so what are you currently working on in terms of artists and artifact books over the next sort of six months? Um... Well, let's see. We announced that we're doing a uh, Dave Cockrum X-Men book uh, that'll be out sometime next year. Uh, we announced that we're doing Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein. Yeah, that's going to be um, amazing. That'll be out. I was hoping for this year, but that'll be out next year. Yeah. Uh, we have a cool book that's coming out in October that we haven't announced yet. Um, and uh, there's a Berkeley Breathed, if you're familiar with Bloom County, Berkeley yes. Breathed Bloom County book that'll be uh, uh, coming out next month. Okay. Actually, he was one of the guys that was on my list for uh, TED originally. And uh, it's funny, um, uh, Chris Ryle at IDW had actually had the same kind of idea. I wanted to do the complete Bloom County book. Mm. <clears throat> it's a finite series just from 1980 to 1989 and then uh, two other strips after. Um, and so I mentioned it, and Chris goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I contacted him, but he wasn't interested. And I said, oh, do you have his email? <laughs> and so he gave me his email, and I, uh, I sent an email to Brethid hmm. and um, uh, saying, you know, hi, my name is Scott Doonbeer. I'd be interested in talking to you about doing the complete <clears throat> Berkeley Brethid's Bloom County series at IDW. Um, I'm more of a phone guy rather than a... Email. Email guy, so if you send me your phone number, I'd love to give you a call and talk to you about it. Yes. And so he wrote me back, you know, maybe an hour later and said, yeah, you know, there's really no interest. My time has come and gone. Nobody mm. cares about it anymore. Um, um, you know, but here's my phone number. So, <laughs> so I called him up, and he answered the phone, and I said, hi, this is Scott Doonbeer. And he goes... I just emailed you like five <laughs> minutes ago. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and so we started talking, and uh, and uh, it took about ten phone calls, but I finally convinced him that there was a market for it, and uh, um, and then we uh, we agreed and we uh, we did the books. And actually, it's a funny story because he at this time I had never met him in person. We talked a dozen times, mm. and. I get a phone call for me. We're putting together stuff. I'm getting, I'm getting um, tear sheets from different people, and um, a lot of uh, uh, clippings and things that we are going to use to put together the entire set. I mean, the strip was in 1,200 papers, so getting source material wasn't a problem. No. But you know, getting great source material is always a problem. Um, but there were a lot of a lot of printers proofs, so that was good. But so I get a phone call from him, and he says, um, you know, I got a lot of stuff up here. 
that might help make the book a little bit better. And, you know, if you want to drive up, he lives in um, Santa Barbara and in this house that is amazing. It has, like, the greatest view ever. I mean, it's like 180 degrees of the Pacific Ocean, wow. up, halfway up a mountain. It's incredible. Um, but... Um, so I say, sure. And so I, I drive up and he lives on this, like I said, he's halfway up a mountain. And it's like this curving road that's hugging the side of this mountain. And there's like a sheer cliff over here. And, uh, and there's one lane. So there, there are turnouts for other cars coming in the other direction. Um, but I get up there and um, he opens up his garage and he points at these you guys have Tupperware over here? Yes, yeah, yes, of okay. course. So, um, there were like these, like those big Tupperware containers that you put coats in mm. under your bed, you know, like 18 by 24 inches. So there's like six of those. And I look at them and I say, Berkeley, are those originals? And, he, and they're in his garage. And he Jesus. Goes, he goes, yeah, yeah. And I say, those are originals. And he says, yeah. I said, you know, those are worth a lot of money. Mm. And he said, yeah. And he says, well, will it make it a better book or books? Mm. And I say, yeah. And and I said, are you sure you want me to take those with me? <laughs> and he said, and he said, yeah, I trust you. Mm. And he said, I mean, you'll take care of them, right? And I'm like, yeah, pal, I'll take care of them. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take good care of them. He goes, mm -hmm. okay, then take them. And so I spent like three weeks putting them in order because yeah. they weren't in any kind of order. They were just slaps in these boxes. Mm -hmm. and, and the real crazy thing was a lot of times they didn't have dates on them. And a lot of times they didn't have years on them. Well, okay, they all had years on them, but they didn't always have the right years. So he would have like a strip from 1986 that would say 1984 because they were pre-printed and he would use whatever he had in front of him <clears throat> to draw on. And so I, um, I uh, luckily, luckily some guy had given, had like clipped every single strip and put them in binders in these six little notebooks <laughs> and given them to Berkeley at a show. And Berkeley had no idea who he was. Mm. But without that guy, it would have been a much more difficult task. I was able to actually put every strip in order. Uh, and actually, it's funny, because every single daily now actually has my handwriting on the top left corner, very small, not in the art, but on the paper, mm. uh, with the correct date and year. Wow. Um, but um, um, yeah, my wife and I, my wife helped me. We put, I mean, our living room was covered with uh, strips, you know, all over, and it took a while to do it. But, and he didn't have all of them, you know, I mean, he had sold a bunch of them. He probably had 40%, you know, which, mm. I mean, there's a lot of strips. It ran for eight years and eight months. And, um, and so uh, that's how that project came together. Um, you did, did you reprint the Outland stuff as well? Yeah, we did five Bloom County books. We did the complete Outland and the complete Opus. Those were each one volumes. And then... Uh, they were uh, slightly easier to put together because there was less of them. Theoretically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they were. It, it, they each ran for five years, but they were only Sundays. Mm. So they were a lot easier to do. Um, 
and um, he had most of Outland, and he had he didn't have any of the uh, any of the um, Opus stuff because that was all done digitally. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So that was easier because no, you could run that straight from the files. Yeah, I guess obviously. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to open up quickly, and if anyone's got any questions for Scott, gentlemen. Uh, as I'm sure you're aware, um, John Byrne's been uh, drawing pages of what would be called his X-Men on, I'm basically just a bit from the month of his forum, obviously John Byrne's fans may not get done. Is there any possibility that IDW might team up with Marvel possibly to put those pages out? I'm, I'm, I mean, it's my impression that uh, Marvel is planning on doing that. So, I mean, I cannot speak for Marvel, but, you know, it's a Marvel, um, I think it would be highly unusual for Marvel to, it's, it's, it's one thing to let us do archival material of their work, and, and yes, we do do new kids versions of the Avengers and Black Panther and whatever, and Spider-Man, but it's a totally different thing to go with something like that, I think. You know, I think that would be... Um, you know, probably more realistic to think that would be a Marvel project. I mean, you know, would I like to do it? Of course. <laughs> but, you know, I'd also like to do Batman, you know, and that's not going to happen. <laughs> not anymore. I don't know if you can talk publicly about DC, your change in the relationship between ITW and DC. You said it was a little bit more problematic. You know, I mean, it, it's... I think you're talking about that we're not doing any more artist editions? Yes. Now? Yeah, you know, I mean... Things change at companies, you know, they have different different ideas. I mean, we have a very good relationship with DC. I mean, you know, I'm I'm friends with Dan DiDio. Yes. I'm very good friends with Jim. He was mm. the best man at my wedding. Yes. And um, um, I'm friends with a lot of guys up there. Um, I was about to say Mark Chiarello. Well, he's no longer there, but yeah. Um, but, you know, my hope is that eventually they change their mind and mm. they... they uh, um, walk back on uh, not doing any more artist editions with us, and it's not just us; it's also graffiti. Um, so they had a change; they just had a, a kind yeah. Of a shift. I'm not. I'm not really sure why. No. Um, you know, but um, you know, I'm hoping to do more in the future. Mm. I mean, how do you? F oh, sorry, gentlemen. Yeah. Did, did you want to ask about, about the, the big books about the format? Um, um, around the same time that your books started coming out. Um, just a couple of years before that, in Europe, uh, they started doing, uh, especially the Frank uh, uh books, Spiro, Gaston Lanka, in almost exactly the same format. Yeah, it's Were fun. Were you aware of that, or, or how it's, did you it's, the format? It's absolutely a complete coincidence. You know, I, I was not aware of them. Um, and I've seen them since. Um, I actually don't own any, but I've seen them. Um, yeah, it was just a just a complete coincidence. I mean, honestly, well, to me, it, it's the dimensions are different on depending on the size of the paper. So, for instance, I've done books. Most of the books for modern art is, are twelve by seventeen inches because the original art is approximately eleven by sixteen inches. Um, on the older stuff, the twice-up stuff, uh, those books are uh, 15 by 22 inches because the size of the art fits in that format. You know, like the old Marvel stuff. Um, we can't do bigger than 22 inches, so um, I, I had to 
um, not shrink, but cut some of the paper on the uh, spirit books because those were a little bit too big. But I, I kept, you know, the image is 100%. Um, but for instance, um, the, uh, let me think, which book? The, uh, the Al Williamson Star Wars book is 14 by 21. The, again, it just depends on the size of the paper. You know, I've done books that were 15 by 20 inches. I've done books that were um, horizontal. Um, I'm guessing if you were to do the Jack Cole one, that they'd have to be shrunk because that goes over 22 inches. Unless, of course, I mean, I'd love to do also his Playboy cartoons, you know, but yeah. those would be smaller. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. like his Plastic Man stuff is amazing, but his playboy stuff is like incredible mm -hmm. you know but yeah i mean i i've never seen an original plastic man page seriously although although i, I, I not all stories but just a couple and include all of those layouts ridiculous preparation pages yeah i mean the kurtzman layouts are incredible and yeah and those are weird because i mean um elder i've seen stories that are this big you know, of, of Annie Fanny and some that are like this big. Um, but yeah, that would be, that would be a nice book. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, good question. Yeah, I, I, uh, and also uh, from France, they when the Spirou books, they, they were all hugely popular because all, every artist in Europe wants to do like André Franquin. And so they all get, and, and it's popular strips as well, so it's all beyond that as well. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they brought out editions, they shrunk them, and they brought it out uh, for a slightly larger audience. Uh, That's so funny, because you know, I'm doing that now, too. Okay. I'm doing it, I call it an artisan edition, where I, they're now 8 by 12 inches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's well, funny, I didn't know that. I completely did not mean to rip them off. <laughs> but, but, and they, they only print the original right-hand side, and they have uh, commentaries uh, on the left-hand side by all sorts of different artists. So, Anyone can, a big name artist, say, oh, I like this big before. You know, I thought of that. I thought of something like that, a different version of that. But honestly, like, there's one book that is like that uh, that came out, the, um, the Red Nails book, the Barry Smith book. And they did that. But, you know, to me, you're losing half the art. And I, I, I just can't do that, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, to me... The only time I did something like that was um, I did an artisan edition called Jack Kirby's Pencils and Inks, um, and it was uh, the first first issues of three Jack Kirby DC books, uh, Commandy, Demon, and uh, and I forgot. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was another good one. It was another good one. Um, but um, um, Jack Kirby at that point had started in the, in the, like in 1970 or 71 when he went to D.C., um, he got a photocopy machine, a very early one, and he made photocopies. So they're not very good photocopies, but I printed them, the pencils on the left and the inks on the right, um, except for the double-page spreads because he, didn't, he wasn't able to copy those because his, he had to feed the art into it, and he couldn't do it with the, with the uh, full-size uh, spread. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think I think we might wrap things up because there's a panel at twelve. But I'd like to thank everyone for coming and thanks to Scott. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing that, Scott. Yeah.